listen, you know what time it is. Whenever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks. Using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, we're going to do our best to help by being in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Ritual and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined... As always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis, the guy who's back from traveling across the country, Mr. Christian Spicer. Welcome back, Christian. Thank you. I'm back. I'm I'm rested. Um, I'm glad I didn't miss out on like a huge week of of things. Mm. Last week's show was great. You did great. It was a really fun show, and I'm glad that like. You know, I think it was a huge week. It was a huge week. It was the Microsoft E3 week, I, basically. I talked about that. I talked about that. You know, I'm I know you talked after about after Thursday is what I meant. There's always that mm. like, oh, but it was good, and, and you guys covered it well, even though I kind of disagreed with you. But you know, it's no no big deal. <laughs> well, we'll we got some residual uh, Microsoftness, uh, some some fallout of that press conference of that uh, online presentation to talk about today. We have a lots of games to talk about. This is going to be another great big episode and luckily we have the perfect guest to jump into all that with us. You know the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week DLC stands for driving lots of content because once again we have the god tier game streamer Tim Trixler Fraser joining us. Trixler, what's up? Dude, what's up? I, I think I'm going to steal that from you, uh, that little soundbite, and play it on my stream. Call me a god gamer. I'll take it, man. You are, uh, man. Thank you, dude. Thank you. Uh, I've been on a journey myself the last couple of weeks playing tons of games all over the place. You, you're not wrong in that regard. So if you got anything you want to talk about, especially PS4-based, I, I got you, man. Thank you for bringing me back on the show. I always enjoy being here. You guys are wonderful to talk to, and uh, I'm ready to get into it. Let's get into it. I can't wait to dig into your... Uh... Your playlist a little later, but let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send uh, comments, questions, anything. We love hearing from you. You have a game you'd like to review? Send it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We may read it aloud on the show. You can also hang out in our subreddit and find some like-minded folks that are listening to DLC and talking about video games and all sorts of stuff by heading to our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Trixler, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Dude, young me would be upset if I didn't pick Halo. I was a Halo fanboy uh, for years when I was... I was that guy on the forums that was like, Xbox is better than PlayStation <laughs> 10 years ago. So please, let's jump into Halo and talk about it. All right. Well, 
Of course, we had the big gameplay reveal, uh, you know, over a week ago now. We talked about that last week on the show. But as I mentioned in the pre-show, there's been some fallout. There's been some reaction. And we got some new information about Halo in, in the interim as well. 343 Studios, uh, who is making the next Halo, Halo Infinite, reacted to some of the, uh, let's say, uh, harsher criticisms of of what people have seen so far of the gameplay reveal uh, but also they revealed that multiplayer for halo infinite is going to be free to play and on xbox series x will support 120 frames per second which is uh, sort of rarefied air for console games usually that's reserved for pc players uh, so which of those do you want to dive into most trixler uh, let's start with multiplayer. Uh, I, I don't know if you and Jeff have been playing Halo 3, Halo 2 through the Master Chief Collection. Uh, it's been out for the last couple months, and I was under the opinion that when those games came out, they'd be a flash in the pan for about a week, and then just completely fall off because it's Halo, it's an old game. And there is a stable slash aggressive community that is playing Halo 2 and Halo 3 to the point where I feel I, I feel like a boomer when I log in and I try to play Halo against these people that have been playing for the last 10, 11 years. They yeah. have been absolutely on point. They are still playing it daily. They play this game uh, like it's a lifestyle. And it's incredible to me that that type of community still exists. So when Halo Infinite multiplayer is announced to be live for everybody when it's coming out in the future for free, that makes me excited as the, the younger trick. I want to get back into Halo. I want to get back into a new game that I can play and enjoy. And if I'm able to get my hands on it for free, that is awesome news. Yeah, it's pretty wild, especially because it'll it'll come out, I think for the first time a Halo game will come out on PC day and date with the console version. And as you mentioned, so many of the players who've been wanting to play Halo on PC have been waiting years and years. And it's wild that that passion, that commitment endured over that long period of time where people were waiting and waiting and waiting to play Halo on PC, begging for it. And finally it happened. And now, uh, now they, you know, it... They waited. They're playing it. They're they're excited. I think that's cool that that community is so big. Um, Christian, I know you predicted for Call of Duty that there would be a, a version of multiplayer that would be free to play. It looks like that's happening as well. So, I mean, it has happened. <laughs> Not just looks like it's happening. It has happened. Uh, so it feels like Halo kind of following that trend, or do you think this is a, a bolder move than that? I think it's a little bit of both if that makes sense i think that if you had you know back when young trick was uh arguing with people on message boards oh, um, good times <laughs> <laughs> uh if you had told all of us back then that halo and call of duty would have free to play multiplayers i mean it's it boggles the mind uh you know to younger us at least younger me not to put words in both of your mouths but i think it's kind of where multiplayer is going i don't know if it's necessarily halo following call of duty as much as it is following fortnite and just how these large population based you know high player density games um are taking multiplayer and especially with something like infinite where 343 has said it's going to be you know a 10-year game or you know this that and the other that it is a platform and I think you want to get that in front of as many people as possible. And I think it's refreshing to know that, or you know, I'm speculating here, 
but it's not a new multiplayer every year or every sequel, right? Where it's like, oh, what's, you got to relearn what's new for this. And you're going to be seeing iterations, new things uh, periodically, seasons, or however they, they monetize and do things. But I think it makes the game more exciting and it keeps it fresh. And I'm very curious to see how 343 implements it. But I think it's, it's bigger than Call of Duty and it's bigger than Halo. I think it's a, a larger trend we're seeing in gaming. And it, it makes sense to me that, that Microsoft is going to um, follow that as well. Christian, I think you're uh, actually tapping into something pretty big here for for trends, especially in FPSs. Uh, I think anything that can remove the barrier to entry when it comes to FPS games is massive, especially on PC right now. Um, especially because of the Twitch world that we live in. The moment the phrase dead game is uttered, uh, it, it feels like the community or audience starts to fall off really dramatically. And one of the ways that you can temper that is by allowing everyone to get into your game. The moment that it strikes hot and you have your streamers playing it and they don't have to pay anything or jump into it, usually it feels like the longevity of it, one, being a streamable game and then also a playable game kind of coincides with that. So I, I think I agree with you. This like trend of games just being free and being able to jump into them is really the way for a lot of these games. And Fortnite kind of just changed the way most of us look at games now. What does worry me, though, is how are they going to make their money? Is it going to be a bigger box right. set, or is microtransactions going to come eventually to Halo? Well, it doesn't seem like Microsoft cares too much about that, at least at the moment. I, I, I'm curious if there will be microtransactions. Uh, I'm also curious, Christian, you said how will 343 implement it. To me, we know l- very little about how the systems in Halo Infinite are going to work, but... My understanding, and you guys can correct me if I have this wrong, but my understanding is that Halo Infinite is going to be sort of a Destiny-type experience, which will last a long time. We'll have these continual updates. You're going to be, um, you know, grinding and 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 working on long-term MMO-like quests. And I wonder how the multiplayer will play into that, because I know with with Destiny, there are ways that the multiplayer side feeds into the PvE side, right? And I wonder if they are betting that that maybe brings more people into the PvE side. If there's if there are rewards for PvP that work in the PvE world or make you stronger, make you take down, you know, raids or whatever they're planning to do with Halo. We just kind of don't know how all of that long-term strategy is going to work. And I'm curious, is, is that is there going to be a real bifurcation between the PvP and the PvE side? Is it going to be complete, two completely different games? Or will there be this sort of funnel from the PvP side into the PvE side so that it, it feels like one more cohesive thing where I'm grinding in, in multiplayer matches and that's helping me take down you know the story content over the long term or what? I, I'm very curious about that. Yeah, I think you hit on something important there. And I think we've all been saying shorthanding multiplayer, but you're right. Like Destiny, that entire game, (laughs) you know, for all intents and purposes is multiplayer. It's PVE versus PVP. Yes, there's the story campaign that is not. But when people talk about Destiny, everything you can do with other people. And I'm curious kind of how Halo is going to bifurcate those things as well. Is the campaign single player? you know, just solo chief uh, running and gunning, or are there going to be opportunities for multiple chiefs in that campaign? The way Halo has always had, you know, for a long time, split screen multiplayer was a big part in playing it with, with your buddy and, you know, sitting on split screen or landing up. And I'm well, curious they've, how they've already confirmed that there will be split screen co-op 
and uh, online up to four players. I believe I believe that's been confirmed. Man, so yeah, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, how that is split between like the the campaign is the thing that is. But even to say that that's $60, it, 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 that's the thing you need Game Pass for. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's already only PvP, 10 bucks. <laughs> right. Yeah. And PvP, you, you don't. I mean, it looks like they're phasing out gold as they're calling Game Pass now Game Pass, not Xbox Game Pass. Like there's a lot of changes happening. And I think Halo Infinite is in many ways a Trojan horse into the future of gaming that Microsoft envisions right now. And yeah, if there are raids and bigger things like that, is that the thing that's free that that they're kind of talking about right now? It, it's exciting. There's a lot of questions, but I think it's super exciting. And I think Destiny is another great example of some of a franchise that's chasing that. Uh, as Trickler mentioned, getting people in for free. You know, there's uh, I forget what it's called, the Light Edition or whatever, where there's game there and a lot you can do online and with other people. And Rocket League <clears throat> is going free to play on the Epic game store. Now it's, it's, yeah. we are on the the precipice of something becoming more mainstream than it already was. I think. Out of curiosity, what do you guys want out of Halo? Do you want the destiny experience baked into Halo with like its own Halo, like look with its own raids and whatnot? Or are you looking for more of like the classic Halo two, Halo three feeling of Halo? I personally, you know, it's hard for me to get married to a game over 10 years anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I like to play everything. And so it's hard to find these long-term games. I'm open to being pulled into them. I certainly have games that I've been pulled into over long periods of time. I definitely love the Halo games and have for a long time. I like the beginning, middle, and end that they represent, right? To be able to move through a campaign, play it with my friends, play it multiple times on multiple difficulty levels, uh, sometimes as well. I am intrigued by this notion of a big open world Halo world. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea that that might feel really different. And there might be a way that that becomes a more compelling uh, experience because, you know, the the ways in which I play Halo or the the levels of Halo traditionally that I have most enjoyed are the ones where you show up in a banshee or a warthog or something and there's this big war going on and you hop out and you run around and you do wacky things and there's a whole bunch of stuff happening that kind of just seems to be happening whether you were there or not and you get to participate in it and i always loved that about that those games is that feeling of just kind of appearing on an already active battlefield and deciding how i was going to attack that and if there's if the open worldness of infinite leans into that even more and makes that more of a choice of how am I going to attack the situation and this sort of this world is alive and happening and there's covenant fighting Marines and there's, you know, flood, whatever there might be, who's fighting who. And I'm just a part of that and I get to influence it in some big way. I think that's really cool. And that is the kind of thing that can keep me engaged in that world. And I guess that's kind of what destiny is. Yeah. But it feels like Halo has an opportunity to really go take that farther. I don't know if that's what they're doing, but it it would be Honestly, I kind of hope that's what they're doing now because when I first saw that trailer, um uh, I, I think everyone has already echoed the criticism so I'm not going to dive too deep into it whatever. But I looked at it and I was like, okay, it's Halo with a grappling hook and an open world and it looks a little bit on the older side which they've already dealt with. But if I can be sold on this is a story that I can partake in in an open world journey kind of like Destiny and whatnot, I think I'm into it. 
Because um, if it is a recycled Halo 2, Halo 3 with like uh, the, the old multiplayer or whatnot, I, I think I agree. I play too many games nowadays where Halo 2, Halo 3 used to be my lifestyle. And now yeah. I just don't have the time for that to be my lifestyle. But if you can suck me into a game where I feel like Master Chief once again, and I get to be that one-man army that's going around figuring out more about the aliens, etc., the rings that I'm on, I'm in all the way. I'll play that 60-hour game, and then we'll move on because that would be an amazing pitch and something that I want to see. And I kind of wish they would have leaned into maybe what more the story would have been during their mm-hmm. conference. I think we're going to see more of that game before it launches uh, this holiday. But, um, you know, you mentioned some of the the backlash about the look, specifically the look of the game, not wowing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm certainly on that page as well. It didn't it didn't blow me away in a way that I thought a next gen kind of experience flagship experience uh, might uh, and part of what happened this week is that 343 addressed some of that feedback. They put out a blog post and said a lot of really interesting things, one of which is that um, they want to do some work on the look. They want to increase the fidelity of the game world. Uh, they said, uh, quote, with Halo Infinite, we're working on to a more classic art style, which was a key message going back to the very first reveal that garnered enthusiastic and positive responses. This translates to more vibrant palette, cleaner models, and objects with less noise, though it doesn't mean less detail. Uh, And then uh, they said, uh, we have to do work. We have work, excuse me, we have work to do to address some of the areas and raise the level of fidelity and overall presentation for the final game. While some of the feedback was expected and speaks to areas already in progress, other aspects of the feedback have brought new opportunities and considerations to light that the team is taking very seriously and working to address. So what do you make of that, Trixler? Do you think uh, between here we are in August, this game's coming out, you would assume, November with the launch of the Series X. Uh, Do you think there's enough time to transform what we saw you know, here at the end of July, early August into something that'll really uh, be eye popping. I mean, there's definitely time to get something done here. Uh, I'm kind of a weird position when it comes to games and seeing them uh, just because like, while I've seen this presented and Halo did look a little bit less eye appealing compared to some of the stuff that we've seen already released or whatnot. Uh, we've always been in positions where we've seen games and go, wow, that looks phenomenal. And then we get it in our hands and it's 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 turned down a little bit. I think they have a lot of room here to improve and they can probably give us the best visual performance possible uh, whenever the game releases and gets on our actual hardware and we can look into it. One of the things about watching streams on Twitch streams and YouTube streams is you lose a lot of compression and bitrate and whatnot. Yeah. So the game might just be beautiful when we actually get it into our hands and it's running on a console in hardware that we're supposed to be looking at it. It might actually just be that. Um, I also think that just walking into an open world and looking around is something that we've seen so many times. And so we just weren't wowed because of that factor. Mm. Uh, So uh, again, once the story is presented to us and we're actually able to read into it, then perhaps word of mouth will be more key for them. Um, It's just that it's, it's Halo. You got to wow us with a huge action trailer and move on. You don't want to show us a 15 minute open world uh, segment, and I think it's what just threw everybody off. I just think someone in a meeting somewhere should have been like, hey, this isn't what Halo's about. Let's just get the game into the players' hands. And I'm glad they're responding to the feedback and criticism, but I wish, I kind of wish he would have just came back and just been like, hey, wait till you have the game in your hands. That would have got me more excited than seeing all these paragraphs about, here's what we're trying to do. Just do yeah. it and give it to me as a player, yeah. you know? Yeah, maybe it's a kind of an under-promise, over-deliver kind of situation. We can exactly. hope. We can certainly hope. Uh, Christian, what did you 
what did you uh, make of this blog post uh, promising to kind of take a lot of this feedback um, to heart and see if they can increase the visual fidelity? I, I mean, I think ov- obviously this product, this Halo product is going to be unlike any of the others before it in that it will continue to be patched and improved on, as you said, over 10 years is what they're they're hoping for. So, you know, the the version of the game a year from now and two years from now may look very, very different, but what do you think can be done in six months? Yeah. I mean, at the, wherever it was at the end of last week's episode, I talked about how I thought it looked good. Um, and, but I, I think the, the biggest con for it, and I think this blog post talks about it as well, is it looks like Halo. It, and, and they talk about that saying they're going for that Halo one, Halo two look in that trailer. You know, they never left trigger, right triggered to to zoom. That kept it out at that classic Halo One, Halo Two um, reticle. You know, aiming and and running around in the palette and the HUD and all of that. And it looks dated, right? It, other games have evolved past that in ways that I think, it, to some extent, it's very refreshing to see it on Halo again and be like, that's that's what I like. That's what I remember. That's what I love. And I understand, I'm speculating, but I think the blog post talks about it some as well, that I think some people's reaction to it was just, it doesn't blow me away. It looks like the thing that I've always thought it looked like, right? Like when you play the Master Chief Collection, you're like, this doesn't look any better. Then you turn it off and you're like, oh, wow, no, the game looks (laughs) way better. And I think we're seeing some of that here with Halo Infinite also. Um, And I think they probably will be able to do a decent amount between now and release, whether it's just lighting uh, tricks, so to speak, to make things look more dynamic or more interesting than kind of that flat. It seemed like everything was at noon um, with the like, sun directly overhead during that that demo. Um, but I also agree with Trickster that when you see something, when you're playing a game, and I think if people are playing at 120 frames per second and it's buttery smooth and you're you're tearing through this world, I think it's going to leave a lot of people feeling really good about the game and the experience. Um, Either that or, and this is a, 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 I think, equal likelihood, you know, Microsoft is potentially in a tough spot with some of their beloved franchises of old that they need a fresh injection, right? They need they need to be God of War or something or Doom 2016. Like Gears feels like Gears. Halo feels like Halo. What are they going to do to make these feel exciting and fresh for 2020 and beyond? And maybe that's the thing that people aren't, ready to accept yet right i want halo i need new halo and then they get what they had asked for and it's like well this is just halo (laughs) you know difficult it's a difficult difficult position but i i still expect to be wowed by halo infinite I, i i really truly do um but i think the biggest thing against it is that it's halo (laughs) in some weird Mm. way trickster what about this you uh you, I think more than either of us, uh, have certainly been uh, much more competitive on the multiplayer scene in a first-person shooter. And I I wonder how big a deal it is to you to get that 120 frames per second on a console. Is that, do you feel like that is really going to, or or does not having mouse and keyboard kind of make that moot anyway? Yeah, so I've kind of gone all over the rainbow with FPSs lately. Uh, I used to swear 10 years ago controller all the way xbox was the best controller for shooting no matter what uh and then i experienced mouse and keyboard and then i started getting into a little game called valorant 
lately mm. uh where i started to actually start doing research on like hertz and fps and like your software being able to keep up at a, a high rate of refresh rates etc um i think 120 fps on a, a console won't matter but on pc with mouse and keyboard when flick shots are important and you're running with a sniper yeah that 120 FPS, if you're able to match it with your monitor and have the correct hertz available, the 144 hertz monitor running with it, like it's going to be phenomenal. It'll be great. Um, it's mostly comes down like weapon balance and like how much damage is done and whatnot, uh, and how important that first shot is, uh, which is probably me nerding out and getting a little bit too <laughs> deep into competitive play and whatnot. Um, but I, the thing about Halo that's always been great when it comes down to shooting is that you can kind of outskill perfect aim a little bit in Halo. Uh, with your movement because it's such a floaty game it's always been very very floaty and grenades have always been really important um so as long as the gameplay feels good and everything is streamlined across when it comes to multiplayer and you don't have those fps drops as you were mentioning um if they're able to deliver on this software uh and hardware that they believe is going to be perfect then yes it will feel great in your hands um but hopefully it shouldn't matter too much like a call of duty or like a valorant um, because Halo has always been special when it comes to FPSs in terms of how you're able to play with strategy mm. and uh, able to play with those four shots, you know, the three body shots and the headshot to finish off someone uh, has always been huge. So my hope, actually, when they put out Halo is that they don't try to be Call of Duty. Um, right. they, they tried that a little bit with like Halo Reach and then Halo yeah. 4, which is kind of where I, I started dwelling off on Halo. Uh, if they want to go back to the classics, they also need to bring back the classic gameplay, uh, which was so huge for a lot of us uh, older players in terms of being able to bake our strategy more into our mechanics, uh, which was, uh, again, the love letter that I enjoyed as a player. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. So so much interesting information there. I, I'm i curious if you'll be playing Halo Infinite on PC or console. Me? I, I'm turning into a PC boy. Yeah. Um, but the problem <laughs> with Halo is uh, they do crossplay, especially right. the Master Chief collection right now, and they actually allow you to use the controller. And when you use controller... Also, this is an issue in Fortnite right now. Uh, they allow you to use a controller, and you get auto-aim put on. Oh, you do get aim assist, huh? Yeah, it oh. goes straight up into the head. So if you uh, aim around their neck, it'll naturally gravitate up towards the head, uh, which is so useful in battle rifle fights, <laughs> right. uh, especially if you're a mouse and keyboard. So mouse and keyboard, I say you have an advantage from afar because you're able to be more pinpoint accurate. You're able to hit the shots. But if you're able to sneak up and get that medium engagement, I would say controller is slightly better. Um, so it becomes this huge argument of like, you're just a controller boy and I'm a mouse and keyboard guy. I'm just using my snipes. Uh, so, uh, I think ultimately I'm going to play on PC cause it gives me a little bit more control and it feels more natural. And once you like train, um, your elbow and such to be in the mix, it feels more a part of you, but I won't deny that it feels like you have, have a slight advantage if you want to run on Xbox controller. Well, I'd hope they match make based on control scheme. Like before. No, they blend them all together. Um, on Master Chief Collection? Uh, on Master Chief Collection, they blend them all together. Yeah. Huh. Um, okay. Which is, uh, I believe, the last time I played, that, that was like a big fighting issue that we argued about. And uh, I remember a lot of people, especially like Summit and whatnot, just like, make it mouse and keyboard only because you want to be equal, right? Going into a yeah. fight. Yeah, um, I think. So, but at the same time, they want to be able to match make it you as fast as possible. They don't right. want people bored. Right. So interesting. All right, Christian Spicer, yeah. what is your story of the week? Well, just the last thing on Halo, and then I'll I'll move off of it. I I think a part of it being like Halo is Halo. I I just don't know if like like grunts like hee hee like it, it just it, it feels dated a little bit to me. And like really, you have that's your army are these little like 
jokey slapstick guys. Like, you wait, know, do you know the the history of grunts? Like, you, of like their official lore. I know I did at one point, but I do not recall. They're it. an enslaved race by the covenant. Yeah. Like they're how, happy how go lucky you, people. Christian? Yeah, they're happy go lucky people that just want to chill, and they know that they're weaklings. But they were like invaded. Their entire race and species was pulled in, and you're just. You're just killing them as Master Chief One Seven running around because they're forced <laughs> to fight, and you're going to be mad at them for being cheery. That's <laughs> dark, man. That's dark. It's then, dark, dude. As, as as we discuss it, then yeah, I would expect the personality <laughs> to be a little different in game. Right? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it, it's Halo, and I don't I don't know if that has if that has aged well. If that still feels compelling and and interesting to people. Um, mm. I think the game right because Fortnite doesn't have any cartoony aspects to it, but it's a very different game. It's not. It's not. It's a. It's a very different game. It's a, a very very different game. Christian, I think we're getting old, man. I think people <laughs> are into it. I think people I, love that stuff. I, I, I love that stuff, old, but so is Halo. I don't need that grim, you know, serious town all the time. I like the fact that a game doesn't take itself super seriously, and I can hear that goofy, you know, emote from the grunt as it runs. Ah! You killed my whole family, or what? I mean, something <laughs> ridiculous. You, you know? remember the headshots where they would cheer with the kid? Yay! Uh, yeah. like you unlock yeah. legendary. Like I, I unlock that. I love that thing. Still, I don't yeah. know, man. I'm into it. Anyway, yeah, I'll see. I, I'm, I'm excited for the game. Uh, my story of the week is the continued expansion of not just video games in other media now, but it is the net, net the literal Netflixification of video games. Isn't Game Pass? It's Netflix making TV shows about video games. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Netflix of video games. Is Castlevania now Beyond Good and Evil and the Splinter Cell Splinter Cell anime um, getting announced? And I feel like <laughs> both of these announcements, I, I'm very excited about. I think they're going to be they have the potential to be phenomenal. But it's like two series that are just trolling fans now. It's like Beyond Good and Evil 2. It's, yeah, I mean, it's coming eventually, but hey, we're making a movie. <laughs> Splinter Cell. Oh, look, here's Sam Fisher and all these other games. When are you going to get a new Splinter Cell? Who knows? But here's an anime. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think maybe they're, uh, these announcements might be uh, the canary in the coal mine for us getting actual uh, sense of when <laughs> next the next iterations of these games are coming out, right? Maybe they're trying to create some synergy here with release dates. Honestly, um, it'd be better. It better be Castlevania. It yeah. wasn't the case for Sam Fisher coming in uh, Ghost Recon and me doing those, which were fun admissions. Like they have the he's back. It's, it's gonna be and then there's radio silence. I hope you're right, but fool me once, you know. Fool me. I feel like something is coming with Splinter Cell because they also did another game. I don't even know what it was. It looked like a, a Team Fortress something with all their even favorite characters. Game. Yeah, and it had Splinter yeah. Cell on it, and everyone's excited. Like I feel like. They are gearing up for something Splinter Cell coming out, and if I'm, I, I don't know, I just got this feeling like it's they want to announce it, and I feel like what Jeff said here, with it being uh, the canary in the mines, uh, I feel like this is a perfect opportunity for them. Get the anime out, see how it goes with them, and then just drop this new game on us, and I think people would be delighted to see that. Yeah, and I think the Beyond Good and Evil film will probably come out right around. I mean, if they're just announcing them. You know, they haven't even started shooting. We're probably at least a year away from either of these. Who knows? But again, the Beyond Good and Evil film, just to be clear, is going to be a live action animated hybrid. I mean, I'm assuming CG animated. Uh, And that is coming from director Rob Letterman, who is the same 
dude that uh, directed Detective Pikachu, which a lot of people really liked, I thought was was decent. Um, and it kind of feels like we're in the early 2000s comic book era right now, right? I feel like Sonic the Hedgehog was like the X-Men, the uh, Brian Singer X-Men movie. Where yeah. It's like, oh, hey, we can actually do a decent job with this. And now we're we're right in that next phase of like all the sort of early 2000 uh, superhero stuff. And then all of a sudden, then, then Iron Man comes out and changes everything, right? And I don't think we've gotten our Iron Man of of uh, video game movies yet, but I think we've gotten our Brian Singer X-Men of video game movies, you know? I, I agree completely. I mean, I, I think we're in a spot where the people that grew up on Mortal Kombat, you know, one of the first video yeah. game movies, uh, this, gosh, even the Street Fighters, etc. We're all in a position where we all have money, and we are throwing money at these movies beyond <laughs> belief. True. I mean, gosh, you can even look at videos of reaction videos to Avengers Endgame and stuff, and we are eating that stuff up. Yeah. Uh, so I think Netflix, Hollywood, etc. are trying to strike while the iron is hot, and I say bring it on. Give me more ways to consume video games that are me not playing video games. Give me Witcher mm. 3. Give me all these shows. I'm down. Like, we got League of Legends anime coming out eventually. You had Castlevania, as mentioned by Christian earlier. You got Witcher popping out. You, Ubisoft seems to understand it, by the way. This is going to be their third show because they've yeah. been doing Mythic Quest as well already, which is a show uh, that is meant to be about development in games, which some of the jokes from when I used to work at Blizzard are a little similar. Uh, some are maybe a bit of a stretch, but it's still a funny decently written show and you can tell there's some heart put into it yeah. uh so ubisoft is really nailing it here and if they can get it three or four flagship shows like the splinter cell coming out i could see them being a juggernaut once again uh and not only games but netflix tv shows series all over the world all right christian what are you which one of these are you looking forward to more i know you're a huge splinter cell fan but man to me that beyond good and evil as a as a live action film sounds pretty cool yeah, I mean, if I had to pick right now, I'd pick Splinter Cell just because I, I love that franchise so much and I'm very excited to see what they do with it. And it's from um, uh, the John Wick uh, screenwriter, right, is involved. Yeah, Derek Kolstad. Yeah, Derek Kolstad. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I can't wait because they, they call it an anime. So I can't wait for Sam Fisher to be like, oh, must hide in shadows. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm down. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, I'm 100% okay with that. I, I mean, I'm picturing some of them i mean if they yes funny joke uh but anime also <laughs> thank you very dark and nailed it very dark and very gory and if this is like sam fisher not messing around you know yeah and castlevania certainly went there as well i, I think it could be incredible i uh, beyond good and evil I'm a little torn on. Uh, I like the talent behind that as well, but I don't know what that franchise is yet, right? Like to some extent, you could have told me that the trailers were the movie, and I'd be like, "Yeah, those look beautiful. <laughs> that looks amazing." But I'm I, I don't know what that world is because the, the first game and what we've seen of the second game feel very different to me. So sure, yeah, kind of at a what, loss. What was the first game? Is. Do you guys know? I didn't play it. Yeah, you're a you're a girl running around taking pictures of stuff mostly. <laughs> Pokemon a- Snap. Uh, not, not really, but it, it was more of an adventure game than anything else. Um, a very good game, uh, but it was very different than what the sequel seems to be. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I think just the idea of creatures and, and anthropomorphized animals and stuff in the sci-fi world, uh, that, that kind of is my jam. 
So I'm I'm excited for that. Just the aesthetic of that uh, as a live action thing sounds really cool to me. Get it, Jeff. You like Avatar. You don't need- <laughs> I like Avatar. I like Avatar. I mean, this this actually feels to me more like Beyond Good and Evil feels like it would be a Jim Henson production. You know, it feels like Labyrinth or something. It, it, it uh, I don't know. I, I obviously don't know if that's going to be that, but based on the Detective Pikachu, which was all about, you know, fantastical things being integrated into a live action, believable world. I think that's pretty, pretty, a pretty great pick for the director, actually. Yeah. Uh, all right. My uh, story of the week is about a new report from Super Data uh, based on AAA publishers and the viewership on Twitch and other peripheral uh, sites following what it has been not E3. Basically, our summer of games, you know, the the summer that we've been experiencing without an E3 for the first time in over a decade. Uh, there is this report from Superdata judging as to whether uh, not having an E3 had a detrimental effect on the industry. If these digital presentations you know, uh, spread out over long periods of time and from different publishers and on different dates and times. There's a whole new take on what the summer of games has been. If that actually has hurt awareness, retention, interest in some of the biggest games of the year. And it turns out the opposite is true. Uh, It turns out everything is up. Uh, More people are watching all of the stuff about PlayStation 5, about Ubisoft's uh, Forwards showcase. They said uh, the Ubisoft Forward had one point uh, over a million viewers uh, per minute versus 0.75 million per minute of their E3 2019 press conference. So it's up and the same is true with uh, the PlayStation 5 reveal. Uh, It was up. It was uh, Twitch viewership had a bigger boost compared to last year uh, of the during the PlayStation event watched by around 1.5 million people every minute. And this was over the Game Awards uh in 2019 over Microsoft and Nintendo's events in 2019. Everything seems to be up. So, my question to you Trixler is is E3 dead? Is the concept of E3 um outdated at this point do we even need to go back to an e3 from your perspective not even talking about the uh what's smartest for the companies would you rather we are in a position now where we get these varied and disparate virtual uh announcements or did you like the week of craziness that was e3 i i preferred the way it was this year mostly because when there's E3, uh, you usually have everyone trying to one-up each other, and they have to do it within three to four days, and everything kind of gets missed out on, especially like those poor indie devs that are like, get their big flagship title, and they finally throw it into an E3 conference, but they get like 30 seconds. This allowed for PlayStation, Xbox, etc. to focus on the content they wanted to and take the amount of time they wanted to, uh, which felt nice for me as a viewer but also a content creator because I got to see more of stuff that I wanted to look into. I'm actually more excited about some of the third-party games or indie games um, that Xbox and uh, PlayStation showed off. 
just mm-hmm. because they finally got a little bit more limelight, which was all, or a little more spotlight, which was uh, fantastic to see. Um, I also think we're in a, a perfect storm. I don't say perfect storm because the, the world sucks right now, but a perfect storm for being able to sit at your house and just consume anything new being thrown at you. Um, so I think these numbers might be a little bit inflated. Right. Uh, yeah. Everything on Twitch is up. Basically, Twitch as a platform is up. Yeah. Everything. Also, there's also becoming a bigger trend for content creators to be invited to watch these streams as well, which gets, suddenly gets my small audience looking into it. Someone else's big audience. You have the big streamers like Lyric and Summit suddenly watching these conferences because they're allowed to, mm-hmm. um, and they aren't um, bar lined away like we used to be in the past. So it's becoming a more of a, a community event to watch these big events, and we don't need someone to host it anymore we just need the people that have the content to present it and then allow us to watch it um which i i love because this was over the span of what i think like nine to ten days that some of these uh these drops came in from Mm -hmm, microsoft and such continue to go yeah we yeah i don't think we're through it yet you know there's still things coming i know that uh wb has an event coming up and so it's it's a much more um expanded timeline yeah and and i i i kind of like that too i think the, the thing I miss most about E3 is walking into the show and always walking out with like three or four games that I didn't know I was interested in. But as you said, some of that, you know, as you said, the spotlight is on some of those things in those press conferences too. But I always felt that the the show itself revealed to me things that, you know, I'll walk by a kiosk and be like, oh, what's that? Or I'll have a meeting with some publisher that, uh, I, you know, I was barely following or, you know, would be below my radar in, in some ways and go, oh my gosh, this is a really exciting thing. Yeah. Some of those, um, hidden gems at E3, I feel like maybe aren't getting the, um, aren't getting my notice as much as they may, maybe would have otherwise, but it just felt like there was more time to breathe in between each conference and focus yeah. on the game. I felt like when I was watching E3, I'd always be like Xbox one. Xbox beat everybody. Well, what games are they playing? I, they had the new Halo guys, Xbox One, <laughs> and that's all that matters. They beat everybody else. I, I felt like we had the PlayStation come out. I had two to three days to think about it. I got excited about Miles Morales. I got excited about yeah. all the other content coming out. And then I was ready for new stuff to be introduced to me. So I, if we do go back to E3, give us more time. I want to mm. be able to breathe and enjoy the moment, uh, which is, I think, what, again, attributes to all these this viewership going up everywhere is everyone's able to tune in when they want to and just sit and discuss, which is the yeah. best part about gaming. I think you make great points. Um, Christian, what are you? Are you a fan of breathing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's a great article on gamesindustry.biz uh, that went up on Friday, I think, and it's an opinion piece. I really want E3 back I, I, or something like that, I believe is what it's called. Or I really want to go back to E3. Um, and it, it starts off by talking about how comparing this year to any other year, as you both have mentioned, is, is hard to do in terms of site traffic uh, and people watching things like um sports is back now kind of uh in the united states um but there aren't movies there aren't you know there aren't things there aren't a lot of things and people are staying home and game media consumption is is way up that makes sense um but i i I do miss e3 I, i found it you know, more difficult to remember where something is going to be or when it is. And instead of maybe watching it live, I kept read up on it later, but I would have liked to have watched it live. Like one thing that we're not, I'm going to mention it now. So we are talking about it, but we're not really talking about it is the Avengers war table that happened. I think it was Thursday or Friday of last week. And I'm sure it did well and it got decent enough traffic, 
Um, and it's kind of the second one, but it's like, oh, there was another one of those, <laughs> you know, yeah. seeking that. Is this on Jeff Keighley's site or where is this coming from? And then what I think I miss most from E3, whether being able to personally do it or read other people's impressions, are those in-room conversations that happen or even yeah. in-room watching someone play the demo. When you watch Cyberpunk last year, and I forget which game it was that I was most excited about last year when I got to, it's like, oh, hands are on sticks, you know, like this is cool. And a lot of times you don't get real answers in the, in the Q and A's afterwards. And Microsoft tried this year where they had a couple of people go out on some of the big streams and, and do like, oh, so-and-so's available. And it'd be like a five minute interview on someone's YouTube channel or podcast with someone from Microsoft. And I think that was an attempt to replicate it. But I, I found that in E3, you get some genuine, really good nuggets of information from those Q&A sessions that have to happen afterward, whether it's on the first day or on the third day when you know everybody's been asking the same question or someone asks an interesting question that, that does get an answer or just being able to go hands-on with things. And you know this year, Ubisoft and, and others made that happen virtually, and it seemed largely a success. But I think there is something different about, uh, was it last year, two years ago, when I was playing Control in the room on a computer with ray tracing and talking to the devs right after it and seeing their faces as you're playing it. And I think there's something special to that that ultimately results in, in better coverage and better impressions than this year, it seems to me, uh, we're getting a lot of people and outlets saying, largely the same things to their audiences because there's only the one take or, or the one version of a presentation versus a little more nuance that can happen when you get mm. groups of people together. I don't yeah. see it coming back in a big way, um, but I do personally miss it. Yeah. I think you make great points as well. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay, Christian. I see you. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> I do. I miss it too. I miss it. Too. I mean, there, I can't, I can't, uh, lie and say that there was a part of me uh, in June <laughs> on the week of what would have been E3 that I didn't go. It's kind of nice that I'm actually not having to get up and drive downtown and going through the madness of all that. There's a, a level of, of frenzy that I, <laughs> I didn't miss. But the actual being at the event is always so positive and such an interesting thing and seeing people and being, uh, like you said, Christian, being exposed to things in a way that it just doesn't happen on a stream on even even great streams even nintendo stuff you know being at the nintendo uh, you know kiosk the uh the the show floor presence that they have and going into their booth and checking it all out it, it's different than even their version their treehouse where you're kind of hanging out it just doesn't translate and um and i don't know i don't know if we'll ever see it again Quite honestly, I don't know if we'll see movie theaters again. I don't know. I don't know what's I in the future. I miss but... movie theaters. Don't say <laughs> me that. Too. I miss me them too. so much. Uh, me too. Me too. Um, well, we do have video games, and uh, we're going to start talking about the games that we have been playing in a moment. But first, I want to thank our first sponsor, which is Squarespace. Oh, boy, I love Squarespace. I've been using Squarespace for over a decade. JeffCanada.com is on Squarespace. I always recommend Squarespace to my friends and family. Why? Because it's easy, because you can make it yourself. You've definitely got a need for a website. You've got an idea, a cool idea, want to turn into a website. You've got work that needs showcasing. You've got content that needs blogging or publishing. Maybe you even have products and services that you'd like to sell. All of that is easily accomplished 
with Squarespace because their tool set is so robust, so simple to use. It's all just drag and drop, even e-commerce. You can just turn your website into a storefront so simply with the tools that Squarespace affords you. It is, uh, it's quite something and you should really just try it for yourself. You can start with this amazing template that, that professional artists have created and then you start messing with it, make it your own, turn it into something unique, but still beautiful, still really professional looking. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. You don't even have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about patching or upgrading everything. That's all handled in the background for you. You don't have to worry about any there's there's it's all handled for you but if you run into any problems 24 7 award-winning customer support they have built-in search engine optimization they got analytics for you to check out the whole package do it yourself make it yourself create something beautiful that stands apart that stands out in a crowd but do it yourself without having to pay anybody else to do it so i urge you to check out squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me right now. You'll get yourself a free trial. You don't even have to give them a credit card. You just start making your site. And then when you're ready to launch that site, use our promo code that is Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E. Save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a, don- or a domain. They have domains as well. You can buy domains through Squarespace choosing from over 200 extensions. It's pretty cool. So again, that's squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me and the promo code Jeff sent me. All right, it's time to talk about the games that we have been playing. And Trixler, I know you have been playing a bunch. So where would you like to start? Dude, I don't even know where to start. Uh, let's start, I guess, on uh, my personal game of the year so far. Ghost of uh, Tsushima. Which, yeah, I know you are super enthusiastic about that oh, game. Dude, I, between Spider-Man, because I, I did another replay through of Spider-Man PS4 before that, um, and this one, like, my open world games are set for the rest of the year. Like They, ha- <laughs> they have to be as good as these two, or I just do not want to play them. Um, Tsushima, first off, beautiful, gorgeous. Everyone's seen the pictures, the photo mode. Um, but the storytelling, I actually have seen some criticism about the game not letting you choose your own adventure. Uh, which I feel like, yes, in today's gaming atmosphere, people are able to choose their adventures, and you know maybe developers should probably try to accommodate for that because it's becoming the norm. But I like that they told their own story, but allowed me to play the game how I wanted to. And I, I played it through every avenue. Main story, the side quest, which, by the way, if you play this game and you do not play the side quest, you've missed out on 80% of the game. The side quest are phenomenal. I love the stories. There was only one that I was kind of disappointed in the ending, but like I could understand where we got there with it. Um, I love the ending of it. I felt how uh, the Eastern culture was infused into the game as well, even though it came from a Western uh, developer. Uh, just every moment of this game just made me enjoy Samurais overall too and got me invested in Samurais um, and what they did great and what was so bad about them as well. I, this game was freaking perfect. I know you're playing it, Christian. I don't know how far you're into it. Obviously, I don't know if we want to get into spoilers or anything, but uh, I would love to gush about it with you, Christian, if, you, if you're still playing through it. I am. I was gone for a week, so I, I didn't, you know, I was unplugged for that week. So I'm not um, super, super far into it, but it was the first thing and only thing I played right when I got back. And I, I remain absolutely blown away by it. Absolutely 
blown away by it. And, and it was two weeks ago now, and I forget who said it, and I hadn't gotten to parts of it yet. Um, Jeff, I don't remember if it was, if it was you um, commenting on the game, but like, oh, being a ghost or doing things dishonorable or not doesn't really seem to impact the narrative. And the last few hours I've been playing, it's like, it, it does. Like, it's not, as Trickster mentioned, it's not choose your own adventure. And it's not like, you know, now I'm a dark, you know, like infamous style, like I'm evil um, Jin now as I go and, and fight. But it reflects in the storytelling. And I have, you know, stabbed a lot of people in the back. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if those if that happens for everybody at the moment, it happened for me with like a couple of, of narrative beats kind of reinforcing this idea of how a samurai is supposed to fight versus, you know, you're willing to do anything now to get things done. And, and when these kind of um, cutscenes, I guess I'll just say, speak vaguely happened, but like, so I don't know if some people hadn't used any of those moves, if they would still see those, I would assume. Yes. But maybe the game just assumes that, you're going to stab someone in the back at least once. But I, can yeah, I don't think there's a way to play this game as a complete honorable samurai all yeah. the way through. It's impossible. The only thing that changes to reflect your play style and your choices on how you decide to dispatch of the Mongols is the weather. Um, the weather oh, will, yeah. become, will be, become more stormy, more ferocious if you go down the ninja route. Uh, but if you stay with the samurai, it's more clear and more in the day and more in line with what the samurai believe. Yeah, but I, I mean, I I love the combat. I, I imagine you can kind of mash your way through it, but I, I find it very intricate, but also accessible. And I'm constantly on the shoulder buttons changing, um, you know, either my stance or my my throwable, I guess I'll call to, you know, be broad. Um, it feels, it, it, it feels, um, I feel lethal and I feel like I'm able to adapt to most situations. I only had one moment so far that I was kind of like, ah, open world game where I was, I get distracted very easily, which is yeah. farther in this game. Um, and I was on my way to a next mission. And then I saw a, a base for all intents and purposes. Right. And I was like, Ooh, what's over here. And I went over there. I cleaned it out. I got a little, you know, upgrade point for doing some things to do the thing. And I was like feeling really good about myself. And then I go and do the mission and the mission is like, we have friends at this base. We need to go clear it out. And I was like, yes, nice. I already cleared it out. It's going to be a cake. It's going to be awesome. And then I get back there and the base is like flooded with enemies. And I was like, oh no, I just cleared this out. <laughs> um, but yeah, Trickster, I'm curious to you know get your take on it, especially coming you know on the heels of a replay of Spider-Man. Yeah. How, how does this game kind of feel different for you and kind of that open world sense and and what's drawn you to it and makes it so engaging. Cause I know Spider-Man was a, a very big game for so many people for kind of nailing the feel of the character and the open world, it's approach to open world. So I'd love to get your take on the two. So close together. This game kind of, I think just was like the perfect storm for me for open world games, because I was played Spider-Man, as you know, that game is the best traveling game ever in terms of you need to get somewhere. You just zip, you don't ever use fast travel. You enjoy yourself. There's always something to do. All the story villains are darn near perfect when it comes to comic books um so i just enjoyed every element of like the storytelling and trying to complete that game but i also right before spider-man decided to finally commit to beating dark souls and so having this ability to mash like in spider-man but learning control and patience in dark souls uh and ghost of tsushima kind of just being right in between of like trying to be realistic but also giving you the power to fight and having the uh, buttons to one, be an assassin if you want to, or 
Two, go full samurai and be honorable in your engagements. And uh, what I actually hated at first was the, the stances. I felt like they were useless. They didn't do anything. I could just slam X in stone form or maybe even water form, and I would have been fine. Um, but as you get through the uh, stages of the game and you unlock more of your talents and whatnot, you find how every stance has such an important moment in a fight, and it becomes almost beautiful, almost like a dance, uh, which, again, plays with the whole samurai theme uh, of being honorable in this engagement and reading that opponent, even if it is a mob that has preset engagements. Similar to Dark Souls, once you learn that weakness and you just go full ham on punishing with a stance, you take him out with water form, and then you switch over straight into uh, moon form, you take out a big guy afterwards, and then you look to your final boss who's switching between three different forms, and you're adjusting to him. Like I just got so in the zone and enjoyed it so much, and I, I ran it on hard mode before Lethal came out, and I thought it was perfectly balanced on hard mode. Like If you're going to play this game, I think go with hard mode. You don't, you don't have to do lethal mode. I've heard lethal mode is ridiculous for you satanic people out there that just want to <laughs> be a masochist uh but if you pick this up pick up hard mode give yourself a chance to appreciate the combat unlock a couple of things if you uh aren't feeling the combat yet run ghost for a little bit and then once you grab two to three upgrades and your certain stances that you enjoy let the game breathe and once you start breathing in that game you just fall into a zone and i, I just cannot put it into words at how darn perfect it was i think this is a perfect game Wow. Um, to be released here on the PS4. Uh, that is just like, this is a good send-off for the PS4. Let's get ready for PS5. It was just graphically perfect, combat amazing, uh, and a story that I just did not expect, but was also what I feel, as a dumb American, was great for uh, Eastern culture and allowed me to kind of just get sucked into it and just enjoy. Yeah. Wow. Or, That's awesome. I, I love hearing that, man. It makes me want to give the game another chance because it did not grab me the way it grabbed either of you. And it makes me want to uh, dive back in and, and try to come to the game a bit, a bit better because it's so inspiring to hear you talk about it like that. It's, it's awesome. Uh, I mean, how, how far did you get into it? If you mind me asking, you don't have to give me like story beats, but. Oh, I, I played about 10 hours, I think. So not, not terribly far. I mean, it's a big, it's about 35, 40 hour game, right? Yeah, um, I think I was around the 10-hour mark where I was like, okay, this is fun. It's beautiful. I think around, if you gave it a couple more hours, you would have hit it, dude. You would have just streamlined maybe, it. Maybe I got to go back and give it another chance. But I, yeah, I didn't, uh, it just, I kept going, I kept f- having to force myself to keep playing it. I kept going, I, okay, I'm going to keep, I feel yeah. it just felt like it was, I, I was on a, I don't know. I loved, I loved the samurai-ness of it. I loved mm-hmm. the, the look and feel. I loved the all the little touches, you know, even just the way it like, you know, puts up the, after you finish a tail, not a quest, but a tail, uh, it would, you know, puts up the, the, the Japanese, uh, writing and then it like fades away into death, you know, and you're, and it always leaves you like standing in this cool pose next to your horse, you know, after your dope tail. And I always loved all those little touches, but I don't know. I just bounced off of the, mechanics of it i felt like all of the climbing stuff just felt really rote and i didn't have the freedom that i felt like i wanted you know i don't know i kept comparing it to assassin's creed which is you know odyssey is really one of my favorite games of all time and i think it maybe i was forcing it into a you know a square peg into a round hole when i shouldn't have been but i it just did not grab me so. I don't think that's a problem. Honestly, I think uh, I think we talked about this last time I was uh, on the podcast, but I think certain games and certain genres latch onto you and you compare every game 
yeah. or ever given that genre to it. And if you're an Assassin's Creed fan, like it's, this is not going to be the game for you, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think maybe you should check out the story if you have a chance because one, you're an incredible storyteller, and I think you would appreciate what they have to say. Um, nice. But maybe, maybe not the maybe not spend the 60, 80 hours to play it all the way through because it is it is a bit of a grind. Yeah. Um, but I, I think story wise, I think you do owe it to yourself, Jeff, to give it a chance. All right. You've convinced me. Yes. Although I have to say, I mean, I'm not allowed to talk about a thing that I have right now that's making me that I'm comparing to this also and going the thing. It just doesn't compare to the thing that I, I I'll be able to talk about it next week. I can't, I'm not allowed to talk about it till Wednesday, but it's a thing that I've played before and loved before. And now I can play it again and really realize how great the thing was. And I think maybe people can figure it out. Anyway, hey, as long as you love things, I'm happy. I love things. Uh, so Christian, um, are you still committed to playing in Kurosawa mode? Yes, I have not turned it off. I, I, I do know that there's going to be some moments that will maybe be frustrating, but my goal is just, yeah, not, not turn it off. And I think kind of my last take on it now until I, I finish it is I had to come to the game on its terms. And I think, you know, Trickster's point about, yeah, if you're comparing it to this other thing, maybe it will never live up to that because it's, it's not that thing. Like you mentioned, like the climbing is frustrating. And I had to sit and think, have I climbed anything? Like, I guess I did to get to like a temple once, but I do very little climbing. Like I was all about climbing, man. I was Mr. Climbs. I was like chasing foxes and birds and climbing on shrines and stuff. Yeah. Shrines and stuff. But I figure that's, that's me following a path. Yeah. Like I'm not like, yes, I guess there is. I I had to think. I was like, yes, I am climbing. Literally my character is climbing, but it's like, this is the path I follow (laughs) to go to the ring. Um, and then combat, when I first started playing it, I was like, oh, I wish I could lock on. This is frustrating. This isn't what, and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This, this is not lock on combat. This is, uh, again, as Trixler mentioned, like, like a dance. Like I'm rolling over here. I'm parrying here. I'm switching stance to, you know, stagger this character as I then block to get a perfect parry for a kill that then intimidates this other character. And that will give me time to then throw uh, a sticky bomb over here. And then I'm rolling back over here and like locking on would slow all of that down in a way that I don't think this game's combat is is meant to embrace. And so like when I accepted this game's combat for what it is, and I accepted uh, that I am playing through tails and that if I do go f- too far off the beaten path, that tail will, will end. It's the game's not really punishing me is kind of how I'm looking at it now. It's just saying like, you're not doing that tail. That's, that's not what this is. You know, if you want to go Rome again, go ahead, but this tail is this thing and this is how you have to do it. And after I kind of embrace that and maybe earlier than it, than it otherwise would have clicked for you, Jeff, it's like, oh yeah, this is what this game is. I love so much of what it's doing. And then yeah, Kurosawa mode maybe for me makes it feel more unique than it otherwise would. Mm. And, um, I'm excited. It really is unique. Game That's for fun. sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you mentioned Trixler that you also finally played through Dark Souls. What prompted that? Uh, one of my good friends, MF Pallytime, does yeah. a YouTube channel, and he's been doing Dark Souls forever. And uh, people have been asking us to do a co-op together. And I, for the record, before this, have always despised Dark Souls. I've tried it three or four times. Thought it was stupid. I, I like. I was like, I don't understand these tank controls. When I want to hit a button, I want the button to connect. It's that simple. And uh, I was very um, ignorant to what could be so good about Dark Souls. Um, I played Sekiro. I enjoyed that more, but I liked it because it was more upbeat and I could jump around. 
And we finally decided just to commit to Dark Souls, and he would walk me through it until I got it. And uh, I would say about five to eight hours, it finally started to hit me that um, Dark Souls actually isn't that hard. It's a lesson in patience and understanding your opponent. And once I like wrapped my brain around that, and then started to see what the game is really about, which is actually opening up a map and defining your playstyle with the weapons that you find, uh, I, I, I have fallen and changed my opinion and admit that I was wrong. Dark Souls is actually a good game, and there's a reason why there's a fan base that is still playing it to this day. Wow. Yeah, I had a similar experience. Um, in front of the show, Dan Trachtenberg, was my Sherpa through Dark Souls. My, I, I had played Dark Souls and uh, I just didn't understand the appeal at all. It just like you, I fe- it felt slow and laborious, and like I don't, I don't want a game to make me feel. It felt like, like the developer this. hated you. It's like yes. oh, we want you to die, and it's like no, 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 no. I want to play your game. And it's like no, you cannot play. I, yeah. I, I hate that feeling. I agree, I agree. But then I, I think honestly, having a Sherpa, having somebody there, and the way that multiplayer works in that world, like how how laborious it has to be mm-hmm. <laughs> to even connect with people and all the things that you need and chalk on the ground and being pulled into the game and all those things. Like there's something about that that makes it feel special yeah. in a weird way. You know, it's like, Oh, okay, we did it. We accomplished something. And like, okay, now we gotta, <laughs> we gotta inch our way through this world and there's danger around every corner. And having that buddy there, I think is huge. It's a, it's a big difference. It was a big difference for me for sure. They really nailed the idea of and you. You said the word perfectly. Uh, accomplishing something like yeah. you have to go through so much, but once you realize how much it is and how little it is, when you look behind you, it's like, oh, I just had to learn. And so, in a small way, you're like, you know what? I I can play games. I can do this. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and in a way, yeah. it makes you feel really good about yourself after you're done beating yourself up for being so bad. It, it's 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 quite a it's quite a great game. I, I honestly, I look back on it. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll do another playthrough and try a different weapon set. Um, Because that's cool, too. Every single weapon has a different attack animation, a different way it moves, and a different way it uh, interacts with the environment. Yeah. Which I think at the time when that game came out, which it had to be years ago, I don't know the exact date, um, was probably revolutionary. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so what else is on your playlist? I mean, do you want to go down this route, man? Let's I just do it, man. I want to hear everything. PS4 DLC, uh, The Turf Wars. Uh, Turf Wars, not Turf. Turf Wars. Um, which... I don't know if anyone else has tried the DLC here. Feel free to chime in, cut me off. Um, the first portion of the three-step DLC felt a little lackluster, like it was kind of rushed out. Mm-hmm. Um, it focused a little bit on Black Cat, and I don't want to give you too much information, but um, basically you're running with her, and then it kind of opens up for part two and part three. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that if you started that first episode and it was kind of on the fence and were like, hey, I don't think I really want to chase this DLC. The game was too good. This isn't really following up. Commit to the DLC. It really evolves a certain uh, villain into a formidable threat. It brings back some main characters from the main game um, that also uh, can change based on what you thought about them. And it also sets you up for the new game slash DLC that the PS5 is doing. I think they mentioned the standalone game, but we still don't know what it is for Miles Morales. Yeah, evidently, uh, that we, there's some indication that there's going to be a remastered version of this game, which also is so as part of that game. Yeah, it's know. all question marks and yeah. different people with different quotes. Um, but regardless, the whole entire foundation is set up in this DLC um, with some side stories, with some side content that you should focus on. Um, I, it, it was a great follow up. You know, some DLC just kind of doesn't hit the mark. And the Spider-Man PS4 DLC, if you look at it as a trio, 
nails it out of the park. Definitely check it out. Play it. At least catch up on the story if you are a fan of the comics, because uh, there's some stuff there that really uh, makes you smile. Awesome. That's uh, great. What else? And, uh, I've been playing Valorant like crazy, which uh, some people aren't into. Totally makes sense. Looks like a slow game, but it's actually one of the most competitive games I've ever played. Um, just because everyone thinks that the aim is important in the game, it's actually about reading your opponent and macro rotations round between round, which I love. Uh, I, it feels like chess with guns, which is a, a weird statement to say, especially when you watch the gameplay. But if you actually spend a couple games playing it and get a couple of kills, you're going to love it. That's all I'm going to say about it. And then Frostpunk DLC. Have you guys played Frostpunk ever? I have. I played it for quite a while and and really liked it. I just found it too depressing. It is. It is so depressing. When it's like I have to make decisions between like serving my people garbage so they can eat. You know, I just like uh, right now, this feels like a thing that just is a little heavy. It me. is incredibly heavy and there are heavy decisions you have to make. But I think it's one of the best simulations for trying to stop the apocalypse out there when it comes other to than, games. Other than real life, you mean? Other than real life. <laughs> and at least you have pretty graphics with this one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. days look in the mirror and I'm like, oof, I'm not, I'm not feeling those graphics. Um, <laughs> but the Frostpunk DLC actually takes you to the time when humanity found out that there was going to be this huge ice uh, over for the world and essentially kill off humanity. Uh, so this is you trying to get to the island and build the first generator to give humanity a chance to survive. And that's the DLC. Um, and if you play perfectly, uh, you can actually prevent yourself from having abysmal failure, um, which is pretty, pretty interesting. Obviously, with the apocalypse coming, that is kind of a failure. But you can play through it and get it all done and uh, get the generator built. And uh, I would say it is a great follow-up. And there's some fresh things in there if you enjoyed Frostpunk to make it feel different, but also make it feel familiar. And they have more DLC coming in at the end of the month. So they seem to be keep turning out content, and it seems to be good. Yeah, well, it's a as you said, it's a gorgeous game. I mean, just watching your little like your little city develop and and expand out in those concentric circles from the reactor, uh, it's it's so impressive to see and and how it really transforms uh, based on the decisions that you make. Uh, it's a great game. It's a really great game. It's just so so dark. Yeah, as Jeff mentioned, if you are something that's trying to avoid things that can be depressing or things that just kind of bum you out, maybe don't touch it for sure uh, until things right. settle in, in the real world. But uh, it is a beautiful game if you ever get the chance to look at it. And now, then, speaking uh, of depressing things, you played Last of Us 2 recently. Yeah, I don't know where you guys are discussion-wise on this game. Are you still at the we-don't-touch-spoilers Feelings. Uh, we did uh we did a spoiler cast uh an hour spoiler cast on the game uh that was uh, labeled as such is there something i mean we could warn people if you want to say something specific i simply actually I, I come in here wanting to hear christian's thoughts uh because i know he just did that podcast recently mostly about the overall thought of the game and when you walk away from it now we've had time to breathe do you love it as a game? Do you hate it? Are you? Do you think it's a, a game of the year material? I just want to know where Christian is, and of course you, Jeff, what, what you guys believe about that game. I love it, and take, you know, shill, whatever, whatever label you want to put on me. Yeah, you know, I did an official podcast with him. Um, but I love it. I am almost certain it will be my game of the year. If you want to just skip ahead and, and thank you to everybody that listened to the podcast. Um, it has, we have ended the, I don't want to say it's over cause it's, you know, whatever. Um, but there's a, a nice bow now on that podcast and the last episode, 
this t- the, week, the episode that came out on Tuesday is um, we're talking about people's feelings about the end and, and stuff like that. And we recorded a lot of it before the game was out. So I think it's a really fascinating discussion about what the game means to people and, and what it meant to them. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love it. I thought it was phenomenal to play. The story blew me away. Um, I, I'm still thinking about it, you know, which I think is a, a testament to it. I like that I'm still kind of rolling over what the world is, what the characters are what they mean i love a sequel that i love that it wasn't safe and i love that it took chances and made me re-examine a character that i had spent you know 20 hours with prior to the game and and kind of putting yourself in in somebody else's shoes for a while and examining who and what people are and and then trying to take those lessons into real life as well and i i think it's a a high watermark for the industry i i yeah, absolutely blown away by it. And there's probably not a day that goes by that I don't <laughs> think about it in some capacity. I, I think it was an absolute, an absolute triumph. Yeah, I, I think it's also a masterpiece of of game making, of narrative storytelling. And my take on it is it is an exquisite work of art that I never want to play again. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, I... I and it makes me a little bit sad to say that because I think the artistry in every single pixel of that game is incredible. And part of part of why I think I wasn't so blown away by Ghost of Tsushima when I played it is because I played it. I got an early copy of that game and I played it, uh, you know, days after finishing Last of Us 2. And the comparison, the one-to-one comparison of those two games, just visually, is it just is not favorable to Ghost of Tsushima. As pretty a game as that is, it just, the level of detail in every animation for every tiny little moment in Last of Us Two, compared to you know sort of canned animations of NPCs and all kinds of stuff in Ghost of Tsushima. I know very different games, open world versus linear. It's unfair even to say it. But it still landed on me that way because just how unbelievably polished um, an experience that is where every single piece of garbage on the ground tells a story. Every environment you're in is vibrant and full, just jam-packed with detail. And every animation is bespoke and perfect for that you know, little sequence. So in that sense, it makes me sad that I never want to play it again. But I, I also, it is su- such, it was such a, it's a game that I, I said that I didn't just finish. It's a game that I had to recover from. You know, it's, sure. it's rough. I will say that uh, if or when you play it again, that artistry is, I think, magnified because there is stuff in it that you notice because you finished it, like right. setups and payoffs. And it's it, it blows me away each time. Like, oh, Wow, yes, that is when that's happened. Oh my ah, you know, like you're biting your knuckles uh as you're realizing things. Um there's already uh too many games. But should you revisit it, I think you will again, podcast podcast blah blah blah. I, I think you will appreciate it at, at on an even greater level. I think like a lot of great media, you know, when you go by and re- replay it, it's either the mechanics or the story or whatever and you can kind of say like, "Yes, this is why this thing withstands the test of time." And I think the last of us has that as well in its narrative. I think the more time that I've had to 
sit and think about it. And it just, I agree with you guys completely on all your statements. Um, I, I think my first initial reaction after I beat it was like, I do not want to touch this game again. And I don't know if yeah. I can even recommend it. And I think I tweeted that out. Yeah. Um, but it, it boils down to a simple thing for me. Towards the end of the game, it got to a point where I couldn't even hit the square button on my controller. A square button. The button that I punch people with all the time for Spider-Man. I cut people down in Sword of Shima, or Sushiyama. Uh, I play God of War, I slam square all the time, and I get my boy to help me out as I delete, delete monsters. <laughs> and I'm at the end of this game, and it's telling me to hit square multiple times, and I can't bring myself to do it. Yeah. And that is special. We Amazing. are freaking spoiled Yeah. that we got to play that game. And again, I still can't sit there and tell you to play it because of how... Uh, it takes you to the trenches of all this aggression um, and all this torture and things that you know people have talked about for days on end and, and some storytelling that people may or may not like. Um, but what it comes down to is it made it hard for me to hit a button, and that is special in its own way. So uh, my final totally. uh, final thoughts on it was that that was a fantastic game, and yeah. I, I just play it, I guess. Just play it, yeah. I guess. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I said. It's like I didn't, I didn't, I don't, wouldn't describe the game as fun, but I do describe the game as essential yeah um so um let's talk a little bit about uh grounded because that's a game that i've dabbled with a bit on xbox game pass i had a big i had a big xbox game pass week actually um but i wonder what you think of it are you into survival games like that i'm hit or miss my problem with survival games is either have really stupid mechanics that turn me off instantly they're either really buggy and it turns me off instantly. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a game called Ark. Uh, sure. <laughs> it's probably the biggest survivor game out there. Played a bunch uh, of it. That is cool in concept. You're running around. You're this, this goofy looking dude, depending on how far you want to go with the character model. And then you get to tame dragons. Or not dragons. Dinosaurs. Uh, dinosaurs yeah. Which is like a cool idea. But yeah. it's so buggy and eventually it wears on you. And it takes so much work. What I love about this game grounded is that you just jump in it's beautiful you have a story set up and they also haven't over delivered anything they tell you okay this is the content we have out now it's kind of similar to see if these in the terms of it's out it looks great um we have some things for you to do and we have more content coming down the road but the content they have in now is polished and it never bugs out on me to a point where i want to quit the game Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm in love with it. Like I, I call it, honey, I shrunk the kids, the video game, and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm down with it. Uh, I'm running around. I'm hanging out with ants. I'm terrified of spiders. I didn't even know I hated spiders until I played this game. <laughs> I love that when you boot up Grounded, it literally has a text screen that says, hey, we have some intense spiders that appear to be really <laughs> large in this game. If you're not cool with that, we have a setting that lets you turn it off. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's funny. And just to double clarify on that, guys, these spiders compared to you are, are skyscrapers. They're yeah. terrifying, and they will not play around. So that warning, please heed it, because it is it is not joking around. <laughs> I died way more times in that game than I thought I was going to. That's for sure. Yeah, you, you're, you're running around as a little, little kid, a little teenager. You think it'd be all <laughs> cute and good to go? No. Yeah, uh, but you think it, it looks like an adorable, you know, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the video game. You don't think of that as being violent death by spider, but no. it, such is the case. No, it's crazy. And the great part about this, too, uh, and just to talk about the game and see if you if people are interested that are listening, it, you can play up to four people. You can co-op. You guys can run together. One person usually has to host it, similar to, like, the game Raft. Uh, as long as they host it, it stays automatically on their save drive, and you can all join them afterwards. 
and so far, I've played it three or four times, about four to five hour segments with a with a buddy, and we have not had any issues with major bugs that break the game. Because sometimes in these games, they get overloaded with content, and that's where the issue breaks is that the memory uh, from the games just load up the server. And uh, Obsidian's killed it with this, which uh, makes me more excited for Obsidian games. I, I haven't played many because I've heard they've done like Fallout New or New Vegas, I believe. Um, which I, I dabbled in and I didn't really get into it because it was a little bit too old for my taste uh, at the time that I played it. But now I'm excited for the next game that's coming out. Vowed, um, right? Yes, yeah. because yeah. of Grounded. That's how polished it is. Yeah. Yeah, I put I put some uh, some time into Grounded and and I dig it too. I don't know if I, I, I guess this is the best way to do a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids game is to make it a survival game. But I kind of wish it was much more of an adventure game. I mean, the story is there. Um, I haven't played it with friends, which I think is is what I need to do. I think that's where the game sings. It, it like you said, it's Sea of Thieves as in a tiny backyard. Um, but I also, I, as a single player, I jumped into the single player game. I kind of wished it'd been a little bit more of an adventure than it is. You know, find the resources, build the thing, get to the next thing, build the next thing, get the next resources. You know, that loop it just feels a little a little tired to me. But sure, I, I think. The the difference in setting is it's so unique and so whimsical and fun. You know, when you're walking around a you know a giant Coke can, you know that's the size of a, a skyscraper, and you know looking up at a house that is you know twelve, you know, you know whatever. It, it's it, it is charming. It's a very charming setting that I think sets it apart just in that sense. Yeah, it's definitely not a game you would spend 10 hours on. But if you guys ever want to co-op and want that co-op experience, you both have an open invite to join my buddy and I. You can come over. You can check uh, out our house. Fun. We should and, do that. Uh, we'll build some things up. No problem. That sounds great. That sounds, like a, that sounds like a plan. That story is something that's coming to it. Like, that's part of its early access. Yeah, it's like yeah. 30 minutes of, of, of narrative. But the yeah. plan is to add more of it. And that's the thing that's kept me away from it. I have it downloaded and I was like, I should play this before the show. And I was like, uh, I really like the story of Ghost of Tsushima. I want to that <laughs> story. And I, so I think I'm going to wait until there's more of that experience. Because I think if anyone can tell a compelling story, you know, Obsidian's proven they're very capable of doing that. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. if they're able to add that into that survival mechanic, I think they could end up with something very special. And if what you all are saying and Tricks are saying about like, it's already stable. That's a big win for yeah. games. Yeah, for they sure. They already have that, and it gets to be, you know, they add all that other stuff later for an air quote official release. I think this game could have some staying power. And since they're Microsoft owned, you guys mentioned like it's Sea of Thieves in a backyard. Man, I would love if you find like a kiddie pool and you do like Sea of Thieves, you know, like oh, that'd be cute. To it oh, yeah. That would be funny. Fun. It does seem like they're, you know, especially with what they showed at the Microsoft event, where it's like the biggest game of the year is Cyberpunk. But uh, we we got this one. I think that it does have that sense of humor built in that that, that could work. That'd be cool. Um, all right. Before we move on, I want to thank our next sponsor, which is Ritual. I love it when Ritual sponsors. My wife has been uh, taking the Ritual vitamin for women, the essential for women uh, for months now. She loves it. Uh, and now they're doing a ritual for men. Um, I talked to the to the folks over at Ritual about this. This ad copy that I have here doesn't mention the uh, ritual for men, but they told me about it. And I'm so excited because I'm going to start taking ritual for men now because it doesn't matter how you eat. Even if you are super conscious about 
you know, eating kale salads and smoothies and all the good stuff they want to put into your body, there are still essential vitamins and nutrients that you need on a daily basis that may fall through the cracks that you may not be getting from your diet, no matter how good your diet is. And frankly, my diet ain't that great. <laughs> so <laughs> I need it. And Ritual is this obsessively researched vitamin. It has been for women. Uh, it has been specifically for women. And we've been we've had Ritual as a sponsor for a while now. And I'm talking about how great it is for women. The Ritual's Essentials for Women made specifically for what women need. Like I said, my wife's been taking it for months. She loves it. She loves the fact she can take it on an empty stomach. It's gentle for an empty stomach. They make it specifically a no-nausea capsule that is uh, made to be able to be taken. You don't have to worry about taking it with food. You can do it on your schedule. Plus, they have a mint tab because sometimes the omega-3s that are in women's multivitamins can leave this fishy aftertaste. They have a mint tab in every bottle to make sure that your breath is fresh. You feel fresh. You don't get that fishy aftertaste that's common with omega-3s. And also a completely transparent product, which means the all of the, the things that are in it are right there on the label. It's for obsessive label readers. If you're somebody that is conscious about what you put in your body, it's made for you. It's it's made by a woman who looked at at vitamins and went, there's no vitamin out there that takes this as seriously as my food does. When I look at the label of my food and I wanna know what I'm putting in my body, I want the same thing from a vitamin. So she made it herself uh, and it's delivered. You get a subscription to Ritual so you can you don't have to worry about it. It shows up in your mailbox and it's easy. It's a, it works out to about a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs delivered every single month, no strings attached. And like I said, now they're doing essentials for men, which I'm, I'm really excited to start. I have my order in. It should be arriving soon. But better health doesn't happen overnight. And right now, Ritual is offering listeners of DLC 10% off during your first three months of Ritual. That's three months at 10% off. You can fill in the gaps of your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation to your body. Visit ritual.com slash DLC to start your Ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash DLC. All right, Christian Spicer, I know that you said uh, you've been gone uh, a week, so um, less time in front of um, games. And I know we talked a lot about Ghost of Tsushima. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? I finished Donkey Kong Country. That's the, you know. <laughs> did, did you finish have... Donkey Kong Country in the country? In the country, in Donkey Kong's country. Um, <laughs> it's exquisite. This is uh, hyperbole, but also one I kind of believe. Uh, Nintendo Switch Online service is the best 2d platformer compilation of all time like seconded there's mm. so many, like i love sonic I, I love a lot of the non-nintendo and that none that uh tropical freeze is maybe better than Donkey, and Donkey Kong country 2 is better than Donkey, but like for five bucks for like 10 years or whatever it is i'm exaggerating again um there's a lot of good platformers on that the nintendo and super nintendo if you didn't know had a lot of good platformers <laughs> Um, that's all. It's, it's kind of the thing, really. <laughs> it's kind of the yes, it's kind of their thing. It's really well done. And then I need to play. I literally just kind of booted it up because of all the fun stuff that Animal Crossing is continuing to do. But I can't talk about it in any intelligent way. But I'm glad that there are cloud saves. And I think the firework event was like as we're recording this. I think 
Um, I like seeing that stuff. It's fun to see Nintendo do it, but no, nothing else I need to spend time on. Well, I want to talk about some of the stuff that's on my playlist. Like I said, I went uh, big on Game Pass this week. No particular reason. I just sort of saw a bunch of things that piqued my interest, and I'll talk about a few of them. One is Carrion. Carrion? Carrion. Carrion? Carrion. I like Carrion. Did you play this, Trixler? Carrion. No, I have my eyes on it, though, because I've heard very good things, so I want to hear your thoughts on it. I mean, if you have Xbox Game Pass... It's a no-brainer because it's included. I mean, there's so so many games. There's like, I don't even have to recommend it. If you have a Game Pass, just play it because, you know, like it. you have it. It's there. Um, this is a pixel art 2D platformer, I guess is the, the category. But you play as what is usually the enemy, the final boss in most games. You play as this big morphing ooze this horrible disgusting beast creature thing this this protoplasm this blob of goo that moves around these levels it is this creature created in a laboratory that busts out of a laboratory and i know there's a certain 2d game where that happens at the end i won't spoil anything and it's pretty great this is like, well, what if that was the whole game and also that thing could level up and get new new uh, um, skills and actions? Uh, I've never moved like I move in this game before in any game. What's Imagine so it's yeah, it's it's like you are um, Carnage from Spider-Man. You know, it's like Spawn or Carnage. It's got these like this these tendrils that come off of it and lock onto the things in the the walls and the ceiling and it moves and and rolls it's like um it's like john carpenter's the thing or something it is just this like amorphous goo beast with fangs in it and eyes in it somewhere it is horrible it's red and disgusting i mean it looks like carnage but the way you move the speed at which you move in this game and can go through these corridors. I mean, it's basically a Metroidvania. It's basically a big two-dimensional platforming series of levels, and you can go any direction, and you have to kind of have to figure out how to get through it to the next section. And what you're trying to do is infest your biomass into as much of this facility and beyond as you can as you you progress through the game. You've busted out. The scientists are trying to uh, stop you. And you are trying to infest your biomass and get, become larger and larger and larger. And the way you do that is you go barreling through these levels. And I mean barreling. You, the, the speed, you're just like flying through. You can reach out and smash doors and, and um, vents in, in air ducts and stuff ahead of you with incredible strength i mean you are you are the like final monster in most video games it sounds you, like it, hulk the octopus honestly like you're <laughs> flying around and destroying things constantly. yes yes and and you encounter a human being and that human being is instantly dead i mean you smash it you you wave it around you can beat it up against the ceiling and floor and then you can consume it and take its biomass and add it to yours which you know regains your health and if you do it long enough you can get bigger and bigger and you, you're the actual, you know, your actual avatar on screen gets larger and gets more, more skills as it gets bigger. Um, and then 
you know, you, you so when you start this game, you feel just completely omnipotent. You feel invincible. And it's a, it's an extraordinary feeling because you're moving so fast and just like barely crashing through things, picking up people and eating them and they're screaming and running away from you and you're going from place to place. And then the game goes, oh, the humans have come up with some some things that will hurt you. <laughs> the humans are figuring out ways to slow you down. And it is pretty awesome how they'll start shooting at you. They'll start using flamethrowers and autonomous robots that fly around. And the game gets real challenging, but also has this layer of, you know, puzzle solving and flipping switches to open doors from here to there. And you're crawling through, you can squeeze through tiny crevices and infest your biomass and other areas. The My only negative about the game is that you move so quickly in this game that it uses this technique that a lot of, uh, 2d sort of pixel art games do where you you know even metroid the original metroid did this you move to the edge of the screen you go through a door it kind of goes to black and then loads the next room the next stage oh no they have that yeah and and you i found myself doing it so quickly and so frequently that it was almost disorienting because like fades to black comes up and then you're like you go and you kill a bunch of people and you go through a door and a phase to black comes back up and yes the game slows down as you go on because you actually have to use some tactics and strategy to deal with there's bad guys that'll have like shields that will really hurt you these electric shields that'll hurt you and you have to figure out ways to sneak around behind them and crawl through ducks when they're facing the wrong way and then reach your tentacle arm down and snatch them up and then consume them and so there's there's layers of strategy that sort of emerge as you continue playing but it still feels like I wish I wish it felt more like uh, Ori in the Blind Forest does it, where it's these larger, connected uh, stages that all feel seamless for the most part. Uh, I wish that they had been able to do it that way because I think it would have felt more or less disorienting. Actually, is what I want to say. Um, but you're I highly recommend this game. You're, you're picking on you're only, you're over here picking on one negative, and all I can think yeah. about here is I'm like, geez, what if Jeff talked about Halo Infinite? at microsoft would people not be so angry about it and be like you know what i'm down to buy that game you know how to sell a game I, i'm like All right, move over ghost of sushiyama let's go to carry on game of the year well I'm not, my job is not to sell the game i'm just trying to express my feelings with it which is like i, I i'm I, i've never played anything quite like this right there's a lot of games that let you be the bad quote unquote the bad guy or whatever but like this kind of bad guy this kind of thing which is this like horrifying the only other negative I would say is that you also unlock these flashbacks uh, where you actually play as humans. You play as the scientists. And so the the creature that you're playing as unlocks these, these visions into how the scientists created it and what they did. And you actually play those. You're w- looking at it through this sort of refracted lens of looking back in time or whatever. Uh, but you play it, and those sequences are not nearly as fun. Like, the, the human being gameplay is not nearly as exciting. They're very brief, but they sh- they feel like they should be rewards, right? It's like, oh, you got far enough that you get to see this cool flashback, and it should feel like something special rather than like, oh, I don't want to do this. Maybe game commentary to remind you that you're just a human, and you're inherently boring. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> But man, the, the, as as a game that is included with Game Pass, it's a no brainer. Like it, it, it's super gory and super dark, but also just wildly fun because you're, you're just this powerful 
horrible beast that is uh running ragged running wild through this science facility just destroying everything it's pretty great i, I, was, gonna, I was gonna check it out because of uh devolver digital is the publisher for it right not the creator because they're not a development company but they're a publisher um but I, I say that because i feel like they are very good at sniffing out these good three to like eight hour games that excel at what they do yeah, and that's what it sounds like. Carry on nails it. I mean, these are the guys that have helped publish Gris, Enter the Gungeon, My Friend yeah. Pedro, Katana Zero. Um, so knowing that, and then hearing what you just said, I'll, I'll give it. A, I'll give it a chance. I'll, I'll check it out in the next couple of days because uh, I've heard it's only what five six hours. And yeah, it's pretty short, but it's. It, I think you're gonna really dig it. It does what it does. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It makes you feel super. Po- it kind of reminds me a little bit also of of Ape Out, where okay. like you're this like super powerful thing, and it's really brief game, but like it packs a big punch, you know, you just, you just like, Oh, this kind of power fantasy of running through and just dispatching things in one hit. And it, yeah, it's, it's cool. Well, I'm in, what about you, All Christian? Right. You going to play, you going to check it out. I I've been following it. Uh, it looks great. I could see myself liking it, but no, I, I don't see the time for it to be perfectly honest. I've still, I need to get through ghost. I want to get through ghost. I should say, and Avengers is right around the corner. And there's a lot of other games that I think are going to pull me away, but I have downloaded it. <laughs> Christian, I heard if you buy a katana off of Amazon, you'll beat Ghost of Tsushima faster. I'm just okay. saying, I heard that. Uh, order. This is how Christian loses a finger. You know that. Yeah. The right. Kill Bill 3 right here, Christian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other game I want to mention, I haven't mentioned it for, I've been wanting to mention it for several weeks and it just keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And I, I just want to bring it up. I, I can't imagine you haven't, played this trickster feria have you played feria no i you have brought up two games that uh i have not heard much about what is this okay so i didn't know about this game either this game came out i think in 2017 i think um i can't believe i didn't know about it and i also feel bad because i literally got an email about this game uh on may 25th grant sent this email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com uh, when I was talking about Monster Train. Grant wrote, uh, Hi, Jeff uh, and Christian and guest. During your discussion of Monster Train on episode 340, you expressed an appreciation for trading card games like Hearthstone that add an extra twist to the structure of the game. That immediately made me think of a game that I recently became obsessed with called Feria. This game is a few years old, but I think Jeff in particular would love it. Goes on and, and on to, to describe it. Grant, you were right. I do love it. It's amazing. It took uh, uh, Richard Garfield actually talking about it. Richard Garfield, the creator of Magic the Gathering, talking about it to get me to download it. So uh, apologies to Grant, who told me about it before Richard Garfield did. But I bought it a few weeks ago, and this game is amazing. Um, it basically is like somebody created a thing just for me. It It's a card-battling game like Hearthstone okay. mixed with... Settlers of Catan. Oh, I was going to ask, because I'm looking at an image of it. I'm like, this looks like some kind of card game with Settlers of Catan underneath as a base. Yes! That's it, amazing. Okay, so imagine imagine playing Hearthstone. You have okay. to, you know, you lay down monsters uh, to attack your opponent. You well have to met. get your, your opponent's HP to zero. That's the important thing. All your monsters are secondary. It's get your opponent's HP down. But you have to put your monsters down. Your monsters attack their monsters, and then they attack the person. Right? But... Here, in Hearthstone, right, you put them down and they attack each other. And where you're putting them down doesn't matter. But in this game, in Feria, there is actually a board that has hexagons on it. 
and you put down a a monster on a specific place, a specific hexagon in front of you. And you can only place it down on a hexagon that's adjacent to one that you already own. But the way you can put a monster down on a hexagon is that you first define that hexagon as a specific terrain type. So there's various terrain types. There's plains, there's mountains, there's forests, there's volcanoes, there's there's water. And you have two things you can do on your turn. You can play the cards in your hand. And you can also use a special ability that lets you define a certain number of terrain types. You can also, instead of defining a terrain type, you can also give yourself some mana. So the game plays, I think, much quicker or ramps up. The the power spikes happen much faster in Feria than they do in Hearthstone because in Hearthstone, everybody has the same amount of mana it just ramps up on a very specific path you know you get you have four mana this turn you'll have five next turn you'll have six next turn after that this game the mana is much more dynamic you can actually decide to boost your mana and play more powerful cards in your hand at any given time but you have to play them on specific places on the board and then those monsters have to actually move forward on the hexagons to get close enough to the actual enemy to attack it to attack your opponent it's really a fascinating additional layer that adds so much more strategy because it's like, where am I going to place my monster? What type of monster am I going to place? What type of terrain am I going to place it on? How much terrain, how far am I going to extend my monster out away from myself? You have all these positional tactics to think about. I am so in love with this game. It also is gorgeous. The art in the game is absolutely beautiful. And it is a uh, it is based on the the uh, living card game model rather than the trading card game model. So you buy expansions and you get all the cards. Like you don't have to. There's no um, opening packs. There's no getting random cards. There's literally you have all of the content and you get it through playing the game. And if you play the game enough, you'll have all the content. There's no toying around with randomness and opening packs and nickel and diming you. It's like 30 bucks for the game. I don't know how much for the DLC packs, but each of them is a set price and you get all the content. That's pretty awesome. Like. Yeah. Is there so I know any you, I know you like Hearthstone. What's that? Is there any multiplayer with it? Like, can you 1v1 people? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, just like Hearthstone. Wow. There's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, single player content where you're actually playing against... Um, the uh you know playing against the the campaign and opening up packs or not packs but opening up uh additional cards for your deck uh but there's also multiplayer and I, a very robust community of people that are still playing this game three years later uh yeah i'm i don't know how it, this one missed my radar Dude, but there was like I, a, a span of two years where it was just card game after card game after card game so well, that's it, true it yeah. may have just barely slipped by you i may have to look at this because like i didn't know i was a card game player until I played Hearthstone, and then suddenly I was playing Gwent instead of Witcher 3, and then suddenly <laughs> I was looking at Legends of Runeterra, so I may have to pick this up. My problem is, like, this game looks awesome, but there's also a vampire game coming out at the end of the year, strategy-based, not card game, but called Immortal Realms at the mm. end of this month. And so now I'm like, which one do I play? Because they both look really awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised that this game has been out as long as it has, and I haven't heard more about it, because it, it looks super high quality. The The card dynamics are really interesting and cool um it really has its own identity and 
the art is just gorgeous. It's really, really great. So if you were to give one tip before anyone played this, if they are going to pick it up off of your recommendation, what would be the tip? One tip? Yeah, one tip. Oh God, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not God tier. I don't. I don't. I'm not. Yes, able- you are. Give us the pro analysis. Let's hear it. Oh geez. Uh, one tip would be. Uh, I would say don't overextend. I I lost a couple of matches because I was like, why wouldn't I just go right at the bad guy? You know, it's like, why wouldn't I just march straight toward him with all my monsters and start smacking him? And you can really like they can come in behind you and um, take over your your hexagons so that you can't place monsters on them and cut off supply. You're, you're basically cut off your road to your your monsters and you should, they don't have any backup. There's a lot of really interesting strategies. And I found that I was like, well, I don't understand why I wouldn't just go is the direct route. And it's like, no, no, there's other ways to handle this. There's ways where you can, you know, you can just not play the board and just b- use extra mana every turn and uh, really put down some powerful monsters really fast. It's a fascinating game. Okay. All right. So I don't know if that helped anybody. Probably not. But I, I, I recommend this game highly. I've been playing a lot of it. Very cool. Um, all right. I think that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Uh, we do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Trixler, it's always such a pleasure talking to you, man. Thanks for being here. Dude, thank you for allowing me, man. I love being here. love talking to you guys. I mean, who doesn't like learning about video games? And you guys seem to know your video games, so it makes it a lot better for sure. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Tell folks where they can keep up with you and all your streams online. Yeah, for sure. So I'm currently going through an identity crisis when it comes to streaming because uh, I used to be the competitive boy that wanted to play competitive games. And I'm in this weird rut right now where uh, humans that can't accept their mistakes are tilting me uh, when we're playing competitive <laughs> games. So I'm going on a single player adventure for the moment. And if you want to catch those games or recommend a game that you think would be fun uh, for someone new that's never looked at it to try, I am down. Hit me up at twitch.tv slash Trixler, T-R-I-K-S-L-Y-R, and uh, we'll figure it out. Awesome. Very entertaining streams. I, I'm a fan, so uh, you, highly man. recommend checking them out. Uh, Christian Spicer, what about you? Uh, you mentioned uh, the the final episodes of The Last of Us 2, or The Last of Us podcast, I should say, not just two. But um, what else is going on? Yeah, we, we've put a nice bow on the official The Last of Us podcast, which you can find at your podcast provider of choice. Um, and thank you to everybody that's listened. The responses have been incredible, and uh, I appreciate each and every one of you um, for you know bringing that show and us into your homes and ears and listening to it. The, I think the last episode, um, I listened to it myself as I was uh, driving back across the country, and I, <laughs> I looked over at my wife and I was like, this is a good show. <laughs> she's like, sorry, what? I wasn't listening. <laughs> she's like, yeah, I, I, she, it was very nice and she agrees. Um, but we were also in a car alone together. No, um, it, it's, it's, uh, I'm really proud of the show. Um, this, yeah, that's kind of it. I guess Twitter is a good place to see stuff at Spicer. And um, what else? No, there's nothing else I can talk about right now. That's it. Yeah, we're good. Very cool. Well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I've got several other shows for you to check out. If you want to hear me talk about movies and TV shows, I do the Slash Filmcast, which is at slashfilmcast.com. Um, I think we're talking about, we're talking about Relic this week, a new horror film. Uh, you can check that out, slashfilmcast.com. 
Um, I have a science comedy show where we, uh, we teach you about some interesting stories from science. We delve deep. You come out learning a little something, but also you'll laugh along the way. It's called We Have Concerns. You can find it at wehaveconcerns.com. We just had an episode with Dr. Kiki, Dr. Kiki Sanford, who is an actual scientist on our science show. It only took us 600 and some odd episodes to get an actual science on, scientist on our award-winning science show, and we did it. Uh, very good, very good stuff. Check that out at wehaveconcerns.com. And then uh, The Dungeon Run is my long-form Dungeons & Dragons show. I want to read a quick comment on the YouTube for uh, for The Dungeon Run. Uh, Alberto writes, uh, this was the first episode I've seen from this D&D group. This was uh, episode 56 of The Dungeon Run. Uh, first episode I've seen from this D&D group. All I can say is incredible, structured like a short story without knowing any of the backstory that led to this point in the campaign. The episode was able to stand on its own for me. Listening to the dragon reveal the truth to the party, forcing them to make a painful choice, was one of the most compelling drama I've ever seen. Well done. Add one more regular viewer to your streams because I am hooked. So be like Alberto and check out the show. You don't need any previous knowledge of the Dungeon Run. You can jump right in. We're on YouTube. You can find us by searching for the Dungeon Run there. Or you can listen as an audio show. It works great pure audio it's an audio podcast you can find it wherever you get podcasts by searching for the dungeon run or you can watch us live on wednesday nights at 6 p.m pacific time we stream at caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run all right let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts hey give us a suggestion Trick, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Uh, yeah. So, uh, I've been dealing with this uh this company called Stitch Fix. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of them. Uh, but they send you every month a package of clothing. And if you're mean like me and hate shopping and have no idea what style is, <laughs> uh, and want to attempt to look decent, uh, whether you be in your own house walking around or maybe walking around outside. Uh, I've been with them for uh, about a year now of them uh, sending a monthly package, and I enjoy the clothing. So I recommend that if you're looking to find some clothes, non-sponsored comment or, comment or anything here, just straight up, I like what they do. I like that I get clothes sent to me. If I don't like any of them, I can send them back, and I spend no money whatsoever. It's wonderful. So check it out if you want to find clothing. Cool. That's Stitch Fix. Christian Spicer, you got a parting gift? I do two quickies. One I've mentioned before, but uh, I think it happened uh, last week. Um, Heart Attack Volume One is out. Um, uh, I've talked about the comic before, and I think it's fantastic. And I think everybody should go pick up the Volume One edition if they haven't been getting them as they come out, uh, you know, monthly, regularly. So go go buy that. Go buy Heart Attack Volume One. It's Image Skybound. It's it's very good. Very good. Um, and selfishly buy it because I, I need to know where the store goes. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it depends on uh, trade sales or not. But um, man, I love that comic. Can't hurt you. <laughs> what I said can't hurt. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Two. As someone who just got back from camping and wishes they still were, um, go camping. Uh, pack up the car. Be safe. Be safe. Um, so pack up the car. Be safe. Find a spot where it's just you. Uh. And go go out into this big world, and uh, you know it's the summer, it's hot, 
and camping is is whether you get rained out <laughs> or not, uh, catch fish or not. It's uh, I had a wonderful time, and I encourage everybody else to safely um, go explore the wilderness and, and spend some time in it. Very cool. It makes me jealous. I saw the picture of you out in the out in the wild, hat on, fishing pole in hand, and I was like, wow. I'm, I wish I was there right now. <laughs> it looked really nice. The saddest, part, the saddest part of that picture that you can't see is I could literally see the fish. Like yeah. <laughs> they were actively going like, nah, dog, you don't, you're not doing it right. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, I couldn't believe that picture was beautiful, man. The sky, there's like no other, you know, this huge vista behind you. And I was like, talk about social distancing. You it didn't look like there were people within 200 miles from where you are. It was wild. Yeah, we were all alone. Very, very cool. We have a listener suggested parting gift. This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com, which is where you can send any of your feedback to us, including parting gifts. This comes to us from Dave. Dave says, a quick listener suggested parting gift. Rucking is an easy way for geeks and sneaks to get a solid workout in. It doesn't matter your phys- physical fitness. Rucking is basically walking or hiking with weight. Grab a backpack or rucksack, throw some weight in that bag, stay physically distanced from others, and go for a walk. Go as long and far as you want. It's a great way to get a workout in without the gym. Thanks for all you do, Dave. I'd never heard of rucking. Have either of you guys heard of rucking? Yeah, actually. Uh, you remember Kevin Johnson? Uh, he used to work at Blizzard. Cloak oh, yeah, in, maybe? sure, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he went through a phase with rucking. Um, there's actually like a, an entire organization you can join, but you can like, you can be casual about it, buy a backpack, they got like branding and whatnot, and you just walk around and do crazy stuff. And if you want to like level up and go hardcore, they do things where they go out in groups, they'll stay up for like 40 hours straight, they'll walk, they'll put like an egg in their hand and you're not allowed to crush the egg or you have to do like a hundred pushups. Uh, they're pretty serious about fitness and, uh, it's pretty crazy. Like how hardcore of a level you can go with it, but, uh, their backpacks, they're in crazy, they're crazy good quality. Huh, I'm pitching. Okay. Um, I'm pitching a new channel on the Discord, on the DLC Discord. I'm pitching a rucking channel because I want to know everything about it, and I guarantee you, some of our listeners are already out there rucking. To me, it's they're just rucking right now. Somebody's too. rucking, listening to this. Like, I'm rucking right now. I'm rucking. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I I was like, it's a thing. They love it. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I did um, this uh, obstacle challenge a couple of times. This uh, obstacle race. Uh, the, one of those down and dirty ones where you get, you know, in the mud and everything. And there was a division of going through that where you had like bricks in your backpack. Uh, but that's the, that's the only time I've ever heard of this, like weighing down in a backpack thing, but it's cool. It's cool. Rucking. Who knew? Uh, evidently somebody who's listening right now knows. Uh, thanks Dave for sending that in. I want to tell you about my parting gift, which is a show, uh, not a show, a documentary, a very short documentary, less than an hour. I think it's 40 minutes on Netflix, and I cannot recommend it higher. It is called Speed Cubers. It's a documentary about kids who compete in competitive Rubik's cubing. Uh, so it's uh, taking a, a, a uh, randomized Rubik's cube and solving it as fast as possible, which is already a fascinating thing for me for, for a documentary. But the documentary is only barely about that. <laughs> I mean, it is about that, but it's more about the people, the people that are involved specifically two people, the top two people in the world and their friendship, the the two biggest competitors, the, these, this kid who had all the records, had all the records for the fastest Rubik's cubing 
and then the kid who broke all those records and they're buddies, they're friends. And it is the most heartwarming, amazing, magical, life-affirming thing. I was bawling throughout this entire thing. Uh, one of the kids um, is severely autistic and talking to his parents about how they discovered that and what they've done to sort of encourage him and the things that he likes and have come to him, you know, met him halfway on, on the things that he loves and discovering cubing. Um, it is un unbelievable, inspiring, beautiful. Uh, I was like ugly crying because of how just heartwarming the whole thing is highly recommended. I think it's the kind of thing that makes you want to be a better person. It's called Speed Cubers. It's on Netflix. It'll take you 40 minutes to watch. And I think you'll be a changed person afterwards. So I highly recommend it. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Trixler and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to the folks in our chat room for hanging out with all of us in real time, making the show better. We appreciate you. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers. Thank you to each and every one of you who download our show and listen to us, whether you're rucking or just hanging out in your underpants. We appreciate you, and we're glad you choose us every week. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>